We bless, praise, and worship you and magnify you, Lord. We lift you up. We lift you up, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for blessing us, helping us, causing us to grow, causing us to learn, causing us to be everything that you desire for us to be. And we honor you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. So in this afternoon session, we always, we've always we been preaching about the last year, I guess, or more on the persecuted church. And uh, I always like to stay current on what we pray about because, you know, if you pray about current things, you'll be able to see your prayers answered and you'll be able to see God move in so many different areas. And so I'm just so thankful that God gives us understanding of what we need to pray for worldwide and what's going on now in the world today. And so we can always be uh, mindful and be current in our information. So I always like to share what the Voice of the Martyrs gives us for their prayer concerns and their prayer requests. Um, They have targeted the area of North Korea for prayer for this month. And uh, there is a report from North Korea, and uh, I was going to share, yeah, I'm going to share with you um, what their plan is. The Voice of the Martyr Ministry, you know, was started by uh, Richard Wormbrand, who was imprisoned for over 25 years uh, in the Soviet Union. He was originally from Poland, I think it was, and uh, he was saved. He was born into a Jewish family. And there was an elderly Christian man that asked God if he could save, uh, minister to one Jew and see him saved before he died. And that was to him, his family. And so Richard became a pastor and uh, pastored under much persecution. Excuse me. Um, there, there's a timeline printed on the history of his life. Uh, he passed away, I think, in the early to mid-90s. He lived to be in his 80s. He lived quite a long time. Uh, he talks about the time he spent being tortured, uh, being tortured every day, and uh, was tortured so that he would turn in other people who were Christians. Uh, there are some governments that will not allow us as Christians to have meetings. Uh, it's punishable by death in some countries. And so we always have to be mindful of that as Christians who live in a free country, uh, that you can see where they're pressing in on us in this country not to speak up. You know, they do it uh, on the sly with some language they call political correctness, uh, but it's actually uh, antichrist speak. It may be politically correct, but it's spiritually incorrect. Uh, as far as what God wants us to speak, we always have to be able to preach the gospel. If you don't preach the gospel and bring men to repentance, you're not obeying the Great Commission. Now, we can preach a lot of things. We can preach the benefits and blessings of the covenant, but you must get people into the covenant first. And so uh, I think the church in the United States needs to wake up some uh, just, just preaching uh, Christ and him crucified is what we're called to do. 
and demonstrating the power of God with signs following. And so if we can do that, then we've done everything that God has uh, commanded us to do. The, the rest of it is blessing. And so, we, But we've got to continue to preach the gospel and bring men to repentance because that is the only way they'll enter in to the kingdom of heaven. And so in North Korea, uh, there are some things going on now. Uh, you know that recently the president of South Korea was uh, uh, told to resign, forced to resign. There was some money uh, um, impropriety she was accused of and, and that kind of stuff, and uh, she was forced to resign. And people are saying now that that is dis- destabilizing North Korea, which is heavily, heavily communist. South Korea is a free nation. Uh, but North Korea is not, and there's always contention and uh, uh, warfare there. They're really close to the border of China, so many times people uh, in North Korea will try to smuggle themselves over to China because there's a little bit more freedom over there. They can get over there and not be uh, challenged, and, and so that's, China gets to be kind of a hiding place. Uh, for the North Koreans when they're heavily persecuted. And we've read that before in, in some of our accounts. But in the Voice of the Martyrs this month, they're uh, focusing on North Korea. They're asking that we pray for them. Uh, they say North Korea, they describe it as a dangerous work. Amen. A dangerous work. So I'll give you an update. Um, these are some things. Now, some of this, because it's a dangerous work, some of these things are secret things that they cannot share with us. But so they break this <coughs> report up into what we can tell you and what we cannot tell you. Uh, what we can tell you, radio and balloons. Voice of the Martyrs produces radio broadcasts that reach into North Korea. We train North Korean defectors to read scripture, sing hymns, present Bible lessons, and preach to those inside the country. Voice of the Martyr continues to upgrade broadcast technology to circumvent the government's jamming efforts. So the government is able on some frequencies to jam their broadcasts if they hear them coming through. Because of the difficulties of reaching this highly restricted nation, we also share the gospel by launching scripture balloons into the country. While this work began decades ago, more recently we have begun using a sophisticated system of hydrogen balloons that carry tiny New Testaments into the country. Voice of Martyrs uh, workers use advanced software to predict weather patterns and choose ideal launch dates and times. They also use GPS technology to predict and track where the balloons land. Frontline workers. Voice of Martyr strategy for reaching North Koreans with the gospel includes methods specifically suited to both North Korean defectors and those still inside the country. We work inside and outside of North Korea using North Koreans to reach North Koreans. Voice of the Martyrs works with several partners that reach out to North Koreans outside the country. These evangelism teams often work in areas hosting North Korean foreign workers. They develop relationships with the workers by offering clothing, reading materials, and medicine, things their North Korean overseers don't allow them. Voice of the Martyr works off, workers offer the laborers love and ultimately the hope of Christ. Uh, 
In other situations, Voice of the Martyrs works with partners who invite North Koreans into their homes and churches, spending days or weeks teaching them about God and the Bible. Through Bible reading, scripture memorization, worship, and acts of service, the believers show North Koreans the truth about Jesus. After their brief introduction to Christianity, the North Koreans return home, sometimes reappearing for more Christian training months or even years later. This kind of work may take years to bear fruit. Working with defectors. One key strategy of Voice of the Martyrs' work is reaching out to North Korean defectors in South Korea. Voice of the Martyrs' office in South Korea operates two training programs, Underground Technology and Underground University. Underground Technology, which is designed for recent defectors, teaches the basics of Christianity, life skills, and character development while addressing cultural gaps and insecurities of many defectors. Candidates for this program usually come to Voice of the Martyr through referrals or from visits with Voice of the Martyr workers at a resettlement center for North Korean defectors. The second training program, Underground University UU, is designed to prepare mature believers to become missionaries to other North Koreans. UT graduates may choose to go on to UU, so they have a system to advance people to places of leadership as they grow. And that's really good because if you can train people, just like they would in a a church in any other country, there's always room for growing leadership and things of that nature. What we cannot tell you. Voice of the Martyrs must be very careful about the information we provide regarding work in North Korea, the most highly restricted nation in which we work. We don't want to compromise the incredible work being carried out both inside and outside the country, work that is helping bring the gospel to North Koreans. During our 50 years of ministry, we have developed a variety of effective methods and partners that enable us to reach North Koreans from diverse backgrounds. Pastor Han was such a partner, and we're going to talk about his, give his testimony in a minute. Uh, He said, we are able to reveal his role only because he paid the ultimate price. Bibles are being smuggled into the country. Christian literature is making its way into the country. Christians are meeting the needs of North Koreans and sharing the gospel with them. All of these things are happening on a daily basis, but we cannot share the details for security reasons. For those of you who partner with us in this work, thank you for your continued trust. We will continue to faithfully perform this crucial work while continually exploring and testing new methods of reaching this isolated nation. You are our partners in reaching North Korea for Christ. Your help for North Korea. So much is hidden beneath the surface. There's so much, there's much more gospel work going on in North Korea than we can talk about. The tunnel, there's a tunnel here, this tunnel pictured above, is where frontline workers hid North Koreans who were secretly studying the Bible. Your partnership with Voice of the Martyrs supports a variety of work, from secretly training North Koreans to helping defectors share the gospel with family members to evangelizing North Koreans outside the country, to sending scriptures and gospel messages across the border. North Korea is the most restricted nation on the earth. 
and the need for sharing the gospel and encouraging believers there is great. Will you partner with us? So we will send a we send a monthly offering. I have to remind myself to send it, but we'll send money for them to continue their work in North Korea. It's nice because the freedom that we support elsewhere keeps us free. I believe that. Uh, because there are many forces in this country that would love to shut up churches and, and love to shut everything down uh, because we're that close, folks. We are that close to uh, not being able to preach the gospel at all. And so we we have to hold on to our freedom, understand what it is that keeps us free, and sharing the gospel keeps us free. And uh, it, it's just a good thing. It really, really is. So... Um, I'm going to read the story about Pastor Han because he was martyred for his faith, his North Korean pastor. It says, when Pastor Han answered a phone call one afternoon at his church in Changbai, China, near the North Korean border, his wife saw no particular reason for concern. She knew, however, that for several months, both Chinese police and South Korean intelligence officers. Now imagine having intelligence people working against Christians. But we have some of that here. You remember when uh, 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 who was that lady that was testifying uh, in, uh, in front of Congress? She worked for the internal lowest learner, working for Internal Revenue Service. And remember, they were refusing to give um, tax exempt status to certain kinds of groups and organizations, most of them conservative and many of them Christians. Amen. And so we have to always be vigilant and always be prayerful about just declaring our freedom here as believers. And this, the gospel is never bound. It's always free to be preached. But we have to use wisdom with God and knowing how to keep it free. And so he asked, he knew, however, that for several months, both Chinese police and South Korean intelligence officers had been warning her husband that he was at the top of a North Korean hit list. Pastor Han, his wife, and other Christian leaders had even agreed on security precautions designed to protect him while allowing him to continue his ministry to North Koreans. For example, he stopped driving on the border road. He didn't leave his house or the church alone, and he kept a very strict schedule. But after receiving the phone call that afternoon at church, the pastor uncharacteristically disregarded those precautions and left the church alone. His body was found that evening in a rural area along the North Korean border. Pastor Han and his wife arrived in the Chinese border town of Shanghai in 1933. The 26-year-old recent seminary graduate had been called to Changbai to lead a small church of ethnic Korean Chinese who make up about a quarter of the population of that part of China. Since the pastor himself was a Chinese citizen of Korean ancestry, he seemed the perfect fit for the position. Although the pastor and his wife knew they would be ministering to ethnic Koreans in Changbai, they never imagined that they would end up ministering to North Koreans. Border controls between China and North Korea were surprisingly relaxed in that area, with North Koreans and Chinese routinely crossing and recrossing the border to visit family members living on either side. 
Both China and North Korea were poor before the 1990s, but North Korea was plunged into an even deeper economic hardship in the early 90s as a result of inept leadership and the dissolution of the Soviet Union on whom the country had depended for economic support. The period from 93 to 95 in North Korea is referred to as the arduous march because so many people were starving. While exact numbers are difficult to confirm because of North Korea's secrecy, uh, experts estimate that between 300,000 and 1.2 million North Koreans died during that famine. Those who made it to China were desperate for help seeking food, clothes, and medicine. Pastor Han and his wife had not moved to Changbai, had not moved to Changbai with the intent of helping North Koreans, but they could soon not turn away those who soon came knocking on the church door. Although many North Koreans originally came to China looking for help from distant relatives, they were often disappointed to learn that their relatives didn't have the resources to help. It quickly became common knowledge that North Koreans that among North Koreans that they could find help at the buildings with crosses on top. It doesn't matter if we wanted to do North Korean work or not, Mrs. Han said. They just keep coming. When you see them, you can't get away from doing this ministry. When they come to China, they are really starving. That is why they come. They don't have clothes. When you meet them face to face, there's no way you don't want to do something for them. Together, the Hans poured themselves into helping North Koreans who wanted to return to North Korea after receiving help. Pastor Han's philosophy was clear. He taught North Koreans that they should be the ones to receive the gospel and go back to their country. Mrs. Han said they should be the ones who have a mission to make North Korea a light, to become a light to the world. While the Hans knew they were taking some risks to help the North Koreans, they didn't fully understand the possible consequences until 1998. The Suspicious Act of Love. Mrs. Han was arrested inside North Korea in 1998. It was a legal visit, she said. I got a visa to visit North Korea. I wanted to help orphanages there, so I bought rice. In addition to helping the orphanages, she also visited and brought rice to some of the North Koreans they had shared the gospel with in China. But in a culture where people generally don't help each other without personal incentive, her act of goodwill was viewed with suspicion. And in North Korea, suspicion leads to arrest. She was held in solitary confinement for 60 days, not knowing how long she would be imprisoned. I felt like I was going to die there in the beginning, she said. Mrs. Han faced repeated interrogations. They kept changing the investigator, asking the same questions over and over again. The investigators also lied to her, telling her that her husband was in the next room. But Mrs. Han had no new information to give them. They already knew everything that she had done in North Korea and every person she had met. After two months, the North Koreans moved Mrs. Han from solitary confinement to a regular prison where she received very little food. The weather was turning chilly, and she only had the summer clothes she had brought with her in July, but God provided for her in a surprising way. Mrs. Han met a young orphan at the prison who had visited them in China. Because he was homeless, he had worn several layers of clothes to keep warm and he was happy to share with his 
with the woman who had helped him in China. His sacrifice was made greater by the fact that orphans often paid for things with clothing. The boy gave Mrs. Han his sole means of providing for himself. Finally, 72 after days after her arrest, North Korean soldiers drove Mrs. Han to the border and released her to Chinese authorities. My daughter didn't recognize me, she said. She didn't come to me. She just cried. After Mrs. Han's ordeal in North Korea, she and her husband decided that for the sake of their children and the protection of the other spouse, only one of them would be involved in the North Korean work. Mrs. Han would oversee the church in Changbai while Pastor Han focused on teaching and training North Korean believers. If her husband was ever arrested, she would be able to care for the children. In addition, she wouldn't be able to divulge information to the authorities because she wouldn't know specifics about her husband's work. North Korea began to tighten its control of the border in the mid-1990s, and fewer Chinese churches were willing to help North Koreans because of pressure and punishment from the Chinese government. Pastor Han's church was the exception. Word spread among North Koreans that if you needed help, you should go to Pastor Han. He provided clothes and food to his visitors before carefully evaluating them for several days. If he believed a person was truly seeking to know God and was not a spy, he would cautiously begin to share Bible stories. After fully assessing the person's character, he would share the gospel in its entirety and begin to train the new believer. New Christians would then join small house churches that Pastor Han maintained along the border and undergo several months of intensive training. You know, I just, I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, look at people in this country. You know, if you don't get a thousand members and they're done with you. And then we would consider that a church if you have a handful of people. It's just amazing the difference in perspective. But we keep praying, folks. We keep praying because the American church will wake up and, and understand what we're called to do. Amen? But it, it is striking the difference. It says new Christians would then join small house churches that Pastor Han maintained along the border and undergo several months of intensive training. The pastor took a conservative but systematic approach to spreading the gospel in North Korea, training new believers, and then encouraging them to return to their own country. Pastor Han would have them invite their closest relatives or friends to China. A voice of the martyr worker in that region said, urging the North Koreans to share the gospel themselves in North Korea was much too dangerous. Voice of the Martyr workers began partnering with Pastor Han after meeting him and seeing how effective he was at sharing Jesus with North Koreans. Supporting border missionaries like Pastor Han was and still is the most effective way of getting the gospel into the closed nation. Voice of Martyrs provides funds to support training, housing, and food for the North Koreans under Pastor Han's leadership. In addition, Voice of the Martyr workers became his trusted friends and a source of encouragement while he carried out a very difficult, stressful, and dangerous work. Pastor Han took a risk each time he helped a North Korean who crossed the border into China, but his work was also very rewarding. In 2012, a woman who made her living smuggling various goods into North Korea came looking for the pastor. 
while Jung Ha Jung Ah was in prison in North Korea for smuggling, another prisoner had told her about God using the term uh, Hananim, meaning one God. Since North Koreans generally use the word Hanulim, meaning sky god or god in the heavens, Jung Ah became curious about the one God. After her release from prison, she crossed into China and went looking for Pastor Han. When the pastor first met her, he took her to a safe house where he taught other North Koreans. After several days, he determined that she was very smart and had a good heart. Mrs. Han recalled, the pastor taught Jung Ah the Bible for three months and her life was transformed. She left her smuggling work and began to help Pastor Han share the gospel with North Koreans. Eventually, Jung Ah became one of the pastor's top workers in North Korea, sharing the gospel with more than 70 people and leading them to Pastor Han for further discipleship. Her work was cut short when in 2014, another of Pastor Han's disciples, Deacon Jang, was kidnapped in North Korea and mercilessly interrogated, ultimately giving up some details of Pastor Han's ministry. Deacon Jang remains imprisoned in North Korea. Another man Pastor Han led to, to the Lord, Sang Chul, was drawn to the pastor after hearing from him in North Korea. The thing I really wanted to know from him was why he helped North Koreans because it was very dangerous for Pastor Han to help North Koreans there, he said. Pastor Han unconditionally loved us and treated us well with love. I felt his heart. The more I met Pastor Han, the more uh, I felt more that his heart became came from the Lord. Without any God, he couldn't help me. That's why I realized Christianity is a real religion. Sang Chu could understand showing love couldn't could understand showing love to someone with the expectation of receiving something in return, but he had never seen someone like Pastor Han who gave to others for no apparent reason. They helped us from a genuine heart, even though they put themselves in danger, he said. They didn't ask anything from us. After spending five months with Pastor Han, Sang Chul placed his faith in Christ. From that time, we made a group when we received intensive training, he said. Four years after meeting the pastor, Sang Chul is still full of praise for his mentor. He was a truthful man because China and North Korea discriminate against Christians. But in the middle of those kinds of situations, he has love. That is why he's different. You can tell that he sacrificed his life for Christ. Secret agents in North Korea have been planning to assassinate him for the past 10 years. In the middle of that dangerous situation, he has been doing God's work for decades. That is really special. While Pastor Han knew his work was dangerous, he understood that those he was serving took even greater risks. At least four people he led to Christ were executed by the North Korean government. Some were arrested and never heard from again. Others remained in North Korean prisons. When Deacon Jang was arrested in 2014, Pastor Han called some of the other North Korean believers to warn them. We are ready to die for Jesus, they told him. Both Chinese and South Korean intelligence officers warned Pastor Han that he had become a target of, North, of the North Korean government, and he and his wife sometimes wondered if they should give up the work. Always we had to be careful, Mrs. Han said. We were thinking to leave there several times, but God stopped us.
After being warned by authorities, the couple made plans to send their two children away to school and took additional precautions for their own safety. We never thought about it like, this is dangerous, we have to stop, Mrs. Hahn said. We thought the worst thing that could happen was that he would get kidnapped. On April 30th, 2016, Pastor Hahn received a phone call at about 1.30 p.m. Mrs. Hahn didn't hear who her husband was talking to, and she left for home without asking her husband who had called. Around dinner time, she became concerned because her husband hadn't called home as he normally did. When she couldn't reach him by phone, she called the police. By 7 that evening, they had found his body. Pastor Han was found in his car in a remote area near the North Korean border. He had been stabbed in the heart and an artery in his neck had been slashed, a method commonly used by North Korean assassins. In addition, he had seven deep wounds to his head which showed the rage of his killers. Pastor Han's legacy. Mrs. Han continues to lead the church that her husband started in Changbai, but she has to stop all work with North Koreans since her husband's death. She has had difficulty trusting North Koreans. She even changed her phone number after meeting North, two North Korean believers he had led to Christ. Any North Korean I see, they look like a spy to me, she said. Mrs. Han said the person who lured her husband away from the church that day was most likely a North Korean who the pastor thought was a Christian. She thinks it may even be have been a member of his inner circle. Since Pastor Han was martyred, I started hating North Koreans, she said. I didn't even see North Koreans at all, but after I visited South Korea, I saw the news about North Korea, and I came to realize that Kim Jong-un, the leader, has to be transformed first, and the country will be transformed. I came to pray for him and the country, she said. So we can definitely add that to our prayers. He's the, uh, whatever, leader in uh, North Korea which they've been setting off bombs over there, too. You know, they're into atomic weaponry as well. For now, she plans to do all she can to help the Changbai Church recover from its great loss. I just want to focus on church to get the congregation members back because so many people left. The voice of the martyr worker who knew him best explained what his loss means to the Christian community in Changbai as well as to evangelism in North Korea. He was a wise man, the worker said. He never failed to start each day in morning prayer. He said that if he didn't pray, he couldn't do the work. Pastor Han was devoted to helping North Koreans enter the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of South Korea. He insisted the North Koreans that he helped should return to their homes and their family and their country, not abandon them. He told us whether this person dies or not, they have to go back. If they die, God will honor them. But if they go to South Korea, they will turn their backs on God. A North Korean Christian sent his note to Voice of the Martyrs workers after the pastor's death. When I heard that Pastor Han died a miserable death, I thought you would hate North Korean people and probably never see North Korean people again. However, you still remember and support us. How I appreciate you. I keep praying to God how Pastor Han taught us to pray, and I feel that God really loves us. I thank God to help us not to give up on in the midst of the difficulties. The seeds that Pastor Han planted will bear fruit for many years, 
North Koreans who met him will continue to share God's love and their friends and family with their friends and family inside North Korea, and God's light will continue to penetrate the darkness. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. I have another story about uh, trafficking in, um, in North Korea because uh, they kidnap women and then marry them off to older men in that country. And it, it's just really kind of heartbreaking. And this is a story. It seems to me to have a pretty good ending, so I'll share it with you. Just to give you an understanding of what kind of life some other people live in other parts of the world. Jang Su grew increasingly nervous as she sped away from the North Korean border in a smuggler's vehicle. She had crossed the Yelu River into China the previous night after her boyfriend had threatened to report her illegal trading business because she had rejected his marriage proposal. If convicted of illegal trading in North Korea, she faced the possibility of 15 years to life in a concentration camp. Although Jong Su also had a legitimate job, the devastating famine that had begun in 1993, as well as her country's poor economic policies, meant that she had to earn additional money illegally or starve. Leave the country for two years, her mother insisted, hoping Jong Su could return after her boyfriend got over his anger. Taking her mother's advice, Jong Su turned to the only person she knew who could help her, a next-door neighbor who was in the smuggling business. The neighbor, neighbor assured her that she could arrange to smuggle her into China and that Jong Su would live near the North Korean border so she could occasionally see her mother. In addition to leaving her family behind, Jong Su was sacrificing the honor of singing for Kim Jong II twice a year in Pyongyang. Her success in local and regional singing contests at age six had won her the opportunity to sing for the great leader Kim Il-sung and later for his son Kim Jong-il well into their adult years. After crossing safely into China, Jong Su's neighbor snapped a photo of her. Why did you take my photo, she asked. I will send it to your mother so she won't worry about you, her neighbor replied. Satisfied with the answer, Jong Su fell asleep that night in the house where they had stopped near the border. The next morning, the smuggler's plans had changed. She told Jong Su that Chinese police were in the area and they had to act fast. As Jong Su and several others sped away from the border with the smugglers, she began to grow anxious. This is not what we agreed to, she protested. But their threatening reply caused even more anxiety. If you don't be quiet, we'll sell you to a brothel, they said. Six hours later, Jiang Su was dropped off in front of a small mud hut that belonged to a Chinese man. Her stomach sank as she realized that she had been sold as a wife to this man and that she might never see her mother again. The sudden change in circumstances was more than she could handle. She didn't speak Mandarin, and the man didn't speak Korean. She only knew that her chances of escape were slim. As a North Korean in China without an ID card, she couldn't travel by train or bus and couldn't read the signs or ask for help. Few trafficked women ever escape back to North Korea. Chinese citizens are encouraged to report illegal North Koreans, and those caught are deported and imprisoned. 
Jiangsu decided that her only hope was to learn Mandarin and get to know her husband. Then she thought he might have compassion for her and be persuaded to let her return home. But that plan dissolved months later when she learned she was pregnant. Even if her husband allowed her to leave, she couldn't imagine raising a child alone. Shortly after arriving in China, Jiang Su met other North Korean women who, like herself, had been sold as wives. One of, her, one of them introduced her to a South Korean woman who gave her a Bible and began sharing the gospel with her. The words she read in the books of Matthew and Romans touched her heart, and she placed her faith in Christ. It was the first time she had ever felt freedom in her heart. Full of joy from her newfound Christian faith, Jong Su immediately began telling other trafficked women from North Korea about Jesus. Her Chinese husband noticed great changes in her behavior. She stopped yelling at him, and Jong Su in turn noticed how many how much joy their daughter had brought to her husband and his parents. Soon her husband also placed his faith in Christ. Jiang Su and her husband began working together to share the gospel with trafficked North Korean women and, and their Chinese husbands. While she taught the women, he assured their husbands that Jiang Su was not encouraging their wives to leave them. He explained that their wives should listen to Jiang Su because following Christ means respecting parents, bringing unity to the family, and loving each other. Many of the women and their husbands have come to Christ through their faithful witness. While Jiang Su was happy that she had found her eternal purpose, she still missed her mother. Knowing that brokers will do almost anything for money, she found one who was able to locate her mother and, in time, connect them by telephone. When she spoke with her mother, she was shocked to learn that she, too, had become a Christian. God helped us find our daughter, her mother shouted joyfully when they spoke on the phone. Don't talk so loud, Jiang Su replied. You will get into trouble. But her mother wasn't worried. God responded to my prayer, she said. Now I can die at any moment. Soon after the phone call, Jiang Su's mother was exiled to the countryside. Authorities were punishing the family because they realized Jiang Su had fled the country. But Jiang Su was able to find her mother again, and her mother discovered that 30 other Christians live in her new village and worship in the nearby mountains. They pretend to get vegetables from the mountains, and they all meet together, she explained. When Jiang Su learned that her mother had only one page of a Bible, she arranged for a broker to smother her a complete Bible. Today, Jiang Su uses her singing voice to glorify the Lord instead of the great leader. She rewrote the songs that she has sung to Kim uh, Il-sung and Kim Jong-il to reflect the Christian message. As she performs and on Voice of the Martyrs support a shortwave radio broadcast that reached in North Korea. The next time you think about your mother or spouse, remember to pray for Jong Su and her ministry to traffic North Korean women in China. Then praise God for the eternal freedom he has given to us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> How much time we have, Miss Wana? I want to read a few things before we pray. How much? 40 minutes? On how much time? Okay. All right. I'm going to read you one more. These are memories of a North Korean defector. You know, when we uh, got our, our list of the 60 persecuted nations, North Korea was the top. 
one of the most persecuted nations. So when North Korea, I'm, I'm so glad because we haven't gotten information about North Korea ever since we started praying. When North Korea was established as an independent nation after World War II, its leader, Kim Il-sung, outlawed all religions except the worship of himself as the great leader. So you got to understand where these people are coming from. That's, that reminds you who Nebuchadnezzar, remember with the three Hebrew boys and the, everybody had to bow down when they heard the, the rap music. <laughs> you know, churches were destroyed, Bibles were confiscated, and teaching children about Jesus became very dangerous. For Haywan, however, gospel seeds planted at an early age would not remain dormant. Something roused 10-year-old Haywan from her sleep. When she raised up from her sleeping mat, she looked around the one-room apartment, her eyes fixed on her grandfather's white hanbok, that is traditional Korean clothing, glowing in the moonlight. His legs were crossed, his eyes were closed, and he was swaying back and forth. How strange, she thought, as she watched his quiet movements. That must be something old people do. In the early 1960s, more than 10 years after Kim Il-sung's communists had taken control of North Korea and decades would pass before Haewon would learn the significance of what her grandfather was doing that night. As a young girl, Haewon struggled to understand the conversation she overheard between her two grandfathers. They frequently used unfamiliar terms like resurrection, second coming, and Red Sea terms her teachers never used at school. They are just old and foolish, she thought. Haywan also remembers puzzling over why her grandfather sometimes left the house without saying where he was going, and she distinctly remembers hearing a recurring argument between her father and grandfather. There is something in the galaxies, her grandfather would accept, insist, but her father's reply was always an emphatic, there is nothing. Though she couldn't know it at the time, these mysteries were planting seeds in Haywan's young heart. When Haywan was 16, the secret police barged into her family's small home one night and ransacked the apartment. They looked carefully through all the books they found, even old school books that belonged to Haywan's other older brother. She couldn't uh, imagine what they were looking for. You cannot hide bombs, explosives, or weapons inside a book, she thought. This is nonsense. After the police had finished their search, they issued orders for her grandfather's arrest. Instead of taking her 83-year-old grandfather, however, they took her father because he was better able to endure prison. Haywan learned later that about 140 others were arrested at the same time, and her grandfather knew them all. As she watched her father leave the house with the secret police, she worried that she would never see him again. Haywan barely recognized her father when he came to the door six months after his arrest. My father was so skinny like a skeleton, she thought. Only his eyes looked familiar to her. As enemies of the regime, Haywan's family was exiled to a remote mountainous area. Although her family never spoke of her father's imprisonment, she learned that half of her grandfather's friends were killed after the arrest. Prison had changed her father. Whatever he had experienced and witnessed had shaken him, and he no longer praised the great leader, Kim Il-sung II. In the early 1990s, North Korea was plunged into a devastating famine as a result of floods, drought, and economic mismanagement. 
Four years later, Haewon, by then married with children, attempted to flee North Korea with her family. Her oldest son had already left for China in search of work, and her grandfather had passed away years earlier. One cold January evening, Haewon and her family packed as much as they could carry and began the dangerous trek across the frozen Tumen River. But their hopes for a better life in China were quickly dashed when they were caught and sent to a prison camp. Haewon and her family were assigned to different barracks in the camp where they were forced to sit day after day on the hard floor and stare at the other prisoners. Any movement resulted in a beating, and they were fed only corn husks. The only chance Haewon had to see her husband was when the prisoners were allowed to go outside each day. After he failed to show up for several days, she came to the realization that he had died. Almost half of the prisoners died because of hopelessness and depression, she said. Haewon was released six months after her arrest. I thought I would be sent to some kind of political camp, she said, but to her surprise, she and her surviving family members merely received a warning. We are merciful to let you out of prison. Behave yourself. Haewon and her family were exiled to an area far from the Chinese border, but several months after their release, they again attempted to flee flee the country. This time, their flight across the frozen Tumen River succeeded, and Haewon was reunited with her son, who had relayed a coded message of his whereabouts through a friend. After safely reaching China, Haewon found a job at a restaurant. A Christian co-worker soon invited her to church, where she was overwhelmed by the beauty of the hymns. I didn't know the lyrics, she said, but it tremendously touched my heart just hearing the songs I wanted to cry. She placed her faith in Christ, and some years later, she and her family made their way to South Korea. As Haewon read the Bible and learned more about God, she came to understand what she had seen that night when she was 10 years old. Her grandfather had been praying silently while the family slept. The discussions she had overheard between her grandfather grandfathers were about the Bible, and the arguments between her grandfather and father were about the existence of the one true God, Henanim. The secret police, she now understood, were looking for Bibles when they ransacked their home. Her grandfather's mysterious meetings were with Christians, and the 140 people arrested were members of her grandfather's house church. Haewon's father, who despite being an atheist, went to prison for her grandfather's faith, was forever changed by seeing Christians executed for refusing to deny Christ. Haewon wasn't forgotten, hadn't forgotten about her homeland. Through Voice of the Martyrs' office in South Korea, she shares the love of Christ today with Korean, North Korean defectors in South Korea and across Asia. Although her grandfather kept his faith from the children in order to protect himself in the house church, he planted seeds in her heart that brought, bore fruit decades later. I realized that I came to Christ because of my grandfather's prayers. Amen? Amen. That's good. Amen. Pray for your families. Always pray for your families. Because God will show them, even though they were persecuted and the grandfather couldn't openly share in the household, but he was able to do enough that God was able to show his granddaughter. You know, it's, it's how you live sometimes, you know, more than what you say. 
But if you can preach too, that's wonderful. But living it is is just worthwhile. Amen. Um, I'm going to share with you about some encouraging news about where Christianity is making a comeback. Amen. It says, we're told incessantly by popular culture and secular intellectuals that the world is becoming more irreligious. But nothing could be further from the truth. You know, I believe as long as the gospel's preached, those seeds are out there. When we stop preaching, there's no seeds out there. So they'll come and just keep planting seeds. Since nothing could be further from the truth, Americans and Europeans remain just as religious as always. In other regions, religion and Christianity in particular is making a major comeback. These trends bear out the data. Proportionately, fewer people identify as non-religious now than ever. Pew Research Center projected in April 2015 that as a share of all people in the world, those with no religious affiliated affiliation are projected to decline from 16% in 2010 to 13% by the middle of this century. Regarding this religious awakening around the globe, The Triumph of Faith by Rodney Stark serves as a great resource for further reading. I recently reviewed Stark's book here. Well, it talks about that, but that's not what they're talking about here. But for now, I want to highlight three places where Christianity specifically has been experiencing a comeback through growth and renewal. Why this shouldn't be taken as an all-inclusive list, these three locations have seen some of the most impressive comeback stories within Christendom. China. After communists decimated the religious landscape in China, faith has made a comeback in the country, so it's now stronger than ever. Many Chinese still feel government oppression, so practice their faith quietly. But perhaps in excess of 100 million people, Chinese people follow Christianity. At the current rates of increase, this could be 250 million Christians in China by 2030. Predominantly evangelicals, according to Purdue sociology, sociologist uh, Yang, as reported in the Washington Post. If this projection holds true, China, China could contain more Christians than any other country in the world. And it's not just working class Chinese coming to Christ. College-educated Chinese are actually the most likely to identify as Christians, and even non-believing Chinese in this demographic have expressed an interesting expressed an interest in learning more about Christianity. Rodney Stark demonstrates this remarkable trend in the triumph of faith, where they show that four uh, percent of uh, college-educated people are Christians. 2.8% of vocational, 2.76 of uh, high school, and 3.6 of less than high school people are Christians. A number of observers have noticed the high rate of conversion to Christianity taking place among Chinese graduate students at American universities. Many have also remarked on a very Christian climate that prevails at the leading Chinese uh, universities where many students as well as many faculty openly express their faith. In Latin America, the Roman Catholic Church has maintained a long-standing presence in Latin America. Since the 17th century, most in the region have identified as Catholic. However, deep-seated Christian faith has made a comeback on a large scale more recently. 
This revival contains a strong streak of Pentecostalism. I wrote a blog post last year about how the Western Church had much to learn from the Latin American uh, Church about pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I, in that post, I quoted Pastor John Piper. In Europe, which was once the center of evangelicalism, today is very small. Whereas at the beginning of the 20th century, probably 5% of Africa was evangelical. Today it's close to 50%. In fact, Nigeria has the largest Christian churches in their spirit-filled churches. Pastor Oyedopo and uh, Pastor Ayo is now the uh, bishop of all of the Christian churches in Nigeria. Uh, in uh, Vincentita Hosa was sharing his testimony. He said when he first began to preach in Nigeria, uh, he got stoned. There were so many Muslims there. He said, and he went, he prayed, and asked God to let him make an impact in Nigeria. And that place has been revolutionized by the gospel since then. So it's amazing. I think Bishop Oyedopo will have a church of a million members very soon. They're planning a huge uh, church building for that. Uh, it's amazing. It's huge. He's got a little scale thing of it and, and a, um, a little video of it on YouTube. Uh, but they, it continues to grow. And he said that God told him, amen, amen, praise God. He said God told, never told him to find the money for anything. He said just believe him for it. And he's, amen, he's made it very, very simple. So these men, and there are many more bishops and our, uh, our friend, um, uh, Archbishop Obembe is also from uh, Nigeria, and he has a, a very—he's an archbishop over uh, several uh, groups of churches, and so uh, they're doing extraordinary things. And and I think too, they're less competitive there. You don't feel that strife and trying to be the biggest, and you know, they just support and undergird and help one another, and the church grows. So it's it's amazing what's going on there. Amen. Uh, he said Stark credited this to the widespread emergence of penny Protestant missions around the turn of the century. Ironically, this movement not only spread evangelical Protestantism, but also reinvigorated Catholicism by forcing Catholic parishes to respond quickly and energetically. In contrast, liberation theology organic to Catholicism fell flat during the 50s. The strong ecclesiastic competition proved to be more of a boon to Catholicism than radical reinvention from within. Where Protestants have been most successful, the Catholic response has been more energetic. So it seems like that has stirred the Catholic Church to win more souls and, and respond in a greater way. Amen. The last place is India. Although it seems a predominantly Hindu nation, India has emerged as one of the largest Christian countries in the world. Officially, only 2% or 25 million in India identify as Christian. That's a tiny minority among a billion Hindus, but still sizable enough to rank among the 25 countries with the most Christians, surpassing Christian countries such as Uganda and Greece. 
Jeremy Weber wrote in a special report, report for Christianity Today, published in 2016. Some estimates, however, place the number of Christians in India far higher. Operation World places the number of Christians there at 71 million. However, in their print edition, Operation World says it would be closer to 110 million. However many Christians there actually are in India, what's clear is that Indians from all castes are flocking to the church. They decide to become Christians despite persecution from Hindu nationalists. Currently, six states have outlawed uh, evangelizing via anti-conversion laws. Indian Prime Minister Modi, head of the ruling uh, party, the Janta Party has threatened to impose a nationwide anti-conversion law. Notable violence against religious minorities has occurred in India since India became independent. Muslims, Christians, and others have been violently attacked by extremists at least as, at least as recently as 2015. Instead of buckling under this persecution, Christianity has gained new followers in unprecedented numbers. Weber reported that evangelical leaders across India agree that their biggest challenge is not restrictions on religious freedom, but training enough pastors to disciple the surge of new believers from non-Christian backgrounds. So that's the report of Christianity gaining ground, amen, (laughs) in different places of the world. So that gives us an understanding of how to focus our prayers Uh, in these persecuted regions and uh, keep North Korea uh, in the forefront in our prayers because uh, the persecution is the greatest. That seems to be like the last real stronghold where Christianity is really fault. Of course, we know the Muslim nations. It's a whole nother ball game. Uh, I was uh, reading recently uh, that the city of Mosul uh, in Iraq will soon be given back to the Iraqis. And they showed uh, Christians going back to that country where they had fled before. And uh, they erected a a large cross in the middle of a square in Mosul because they believe that God has led them back there. So these things are all very encouraging news. They're very encouraging news. So praise God. Praise God. All right, so if you guys will pray in the spirit, I'll pray in the understanding. We're focusing particularly on North Korea, but we're also praying for persecuted Christians worldwide, praying against persecution in our nation, that our nation was founded on Christian and Judeo-Christian principles, that we are one nation under the one true and living God, not a bunch of gods. And so we thank you, Lord. We bless you, Father. We praise you, Lord God of heaven and earth. Lord, we ask you, forgive our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we renounce uh, pride and we renounce uh, 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 just lack of prayerlessness, lack of interest in what you're doing, Father. Stir us up, Father, to make us interested in your gospel, in your work. Let us wake up every day thanking you for freeing people in these persecuted nations. Let us be mindful through the week that we have a duty to pray for our brothers and sisters in these remote lands. Because they are your children, they are your people called by your name. And we thank you and we honor you, Lord. We bless you, Father. We thank you. We honor you. We love you. We thank you for making us a free people 
in a free nation. We want to keep this nation free so that we can continue to preach the gospel to every creature. We can continue to have purity in all levels of our living, from our churches to our homes, our government, every level of living, Father. We want your word uh, reigning and ruling. We want you to control every aspect of human life here, Father, because your way is the best way. And so we thank you, Lord, that we give you free access to everything that we have uh, uh, lordship over, we have dominion over. We thank you, Lord, that we use our authority to break the power of persecution in the name of Jesus. We break the power of intimidation in Jesus' name. We break the power of politically correct spirit uh, speech in the name of Jesus. We break the power of these intimidation spirits in Jesus' name. And we thank you for freedom in every level of life in this nation. Freedom to worship you. Freedom to praise you. Freedom to live holy and righteous before you, Lord. And we bless you. We thank you that we have freedom of conscience to serve you and you alone, Father. We will not have our consciences violated by foolish laws that try to restrict us. So we thank you, Father. And we pray against, we bind you, destruction, retaliation, and death. We plead the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the atonement. We thank you, Lord, that it provides for life. It provides for restoration. It provides for conversion. It provides for healing. It provides for freedom. We thank you, Lord, we dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you to satisfy us with long life. We pray the blessing of Moses that we live to be 120. Our eyes will not be dim, nor our natural strength abated. Not a hair of our heads will fall to the ground in Jesus' name. No weapon that's formed against us will accomplish what it sets out to do. We are blessed coming in and going out. We have strength for coming in and going out. We have power over serpents and scorpions. If we eat any deadly thing, it won't hurt us. If the enemy comes at us one way, he must flee seven ways. One of us can chase a thousand. Two of us can put ten thousand to flight. Thank you, Lord, that your glory goes before us and it is our rear guard. Every tongue that rises up against us in judgment, we will condemn. Others trust in the arm of flesh, but we trust in the living God. Your mercy hovers over us. And quietness and confidence shall be our strength. Lord, you're our sun and our shield, our banner, our healer, our peace, and our great reward. Your name is a strong tower. We run in and we are safe. By your stripes we were healed. We are redeemed from the penalty and curse for our sins by your precious blood. Thank you, Lord. None of the diseases that you put on the Egyptians will be put on us. You send your word and heal us. And we walk in the spirit, not the flesh. We're not condemned, but we walk in joy and we walk in strength. And, Father, we thank you that all power in heaven and earth is given unto you. And we pray in the authority of the name of Jesus. All of these things will come to pass. We thank you for protection from the internal enemy as well as the external enemy in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that the borders of this nation will be secured against all terrorism and against all lawlessness in the name of Jesus. I thank you that protection is essential for success in warfare. And I thank you, Lord, that your people are protected because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are supernatural. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
And we thank you, Father, for victory, victory, nothing but victory. Every place we pray, victory. Everything we are concerned about, victory. We thank you, Father, for total victory over all the works of darkness. And we bless you and we praise you. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glorify you, Lord. Magnify you and extol you, O God, we lift you up. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy to be praised. Worthy to be praised. Worthy, 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 worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth to receive all blessing and glory and honor and power and praise. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. We'll pray holy, holy, Miss Wanna. Praise you, Lord. We're just going to worship the Lord a bit before we adjourn. Just stay in his presence and thank him. Thank you for whatever's on your heart that you're concerned about. Lord, we thank you for delivering North Korea. Thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for delivering them into the hands of the gospel in Jesus' name. Thank you for freedom and concealment of people in the underground church. Thank you, Lord, as these people build these tunnels that they can go down in them and pray, Father, that you you cover them and you watch over them and you hear every single prayer, Lord that you would hear and answer every single prayer. Make them a free people, Father, even though the government oppresses them. Free them up in their hearts, Father, like never before. Free them up totally, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. Lord.